going to talk about the priesthood uh, because it is specifically pointed out in Ezra chapter 2 and I want to talk about it for a minute and and to be honest I was kind of having a little bit of trouble um, with this whole message I guess and the reason is because it's what we're going to do is we're going to kind of lay like a foundation that will be built upon you know uh, we're going to lay a foundation that will later be built upon and so here's the, the reason that's, I wouldn't call it a problem, but it's at least something to talk about, is that it's always important that we talk about and reaffirm the foundation on which we're building our lives. Um, but m I wouldn't say most, but a lot of people, they're not really very concerned with the foundation. Most people, they just want to move on, you know? And so these are why a lot of people, um, even, even on Sunday mornings, to be honest, they, they don't want rock-solid theology. They really don't. What they want is practical application. They want, give me a sermon that, hey, give me five steps to get my wife to be nicer to me, right? They want, give me three keys to having effective prayer, um, right? And so sometimes we can, uh, and I, I think I struggle with this too, sometimes it's, we know it's important to have this solid foundation, but we want to skip it and we want to go on to just tell me what to do, right? Are you all with me on this? And we act like we love freedom, um, but the, one of the most challenging things we can give people is freedom. We really don't like freedom. As humans, I don't know if you realize this yet, we just want to be told what to do. Have you all recognized this by now? We say we want freedom, but really, I mean, when you, when you actually strip everything away, what we really want is we just want, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. And now think about that. Why is it that we want that so badly? My opinion is the reason we want to be told what to do is because if you just tell me what to do and I do it, then who's responsible for the outcome? Yeah, not me. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's why we struggle with this idea of we say we want freedom, but we really don't, you know? Um, and so that's why it's so challenging even today what we're going to talk about is some, some ground-level, foundational theology. And to be honest, we probably won't build on it very much because of the sake of time. And this is why it's so challenging is that some, some people, hopefully no one in this room, but some people want nothing to do with that. Some people, they just want, just tell me what to do. Just how do, you know, what, how do I live with this what do I take with this information on Monday morning? And let me be really clear. You're asking the pastor to do what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do in your life at that point, right? And so anyways, I just want to get that. I, I always feel that weight on my shoulders. I always feel that burden of, Russell, you've got to make it practical and applicable. And I'm like, hold on. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, right? Our job when we come together is to teach foundational truth and then to say, Holy Spirit, how does this apply to our life? And here's the difficult part about a foundation. Um, I've built several structures. I've built a couple homes. Here's, here's the thing. When the first thing you do when you build a house is you make a pad. You make a dirt pad, and it has to be rock solid, right? When I, I built a shop at my house months ago, the very first thing I did, like, you know what I mean? I had in my mind, what? 
all this space. I'm going to have high ceilings. I had in my mind, I'm going to have these big bay doors. I had in my mind, I'm going to have tons of power. Like it's, that's such a dad thing to say, but like all these power outlets. And I had in my mind, I'm going to have this dust collection system over here. So it keeps the air real clean. You know, I had in my mind like, oh, the kitty cats can run in and play and they'll have so much fun. I had all this in my mind. And the first thing that absolutely had to get done is what? Dirt work. I spent thousands of dollars, and if you ever build a home, you know this, you spend thousands of dollars leveling the dirt. And really what the first thing you do is you come and you scrape off the first layer of dirt because it's actually not very solid. And then you spend thousands of dollars for dirt and for people to come in and make this dirt flat and they, and they use a roller and they uh, roll it and it makes it almost uh, watertight. It gets so tight. And then after that, do you know what I did? Did I build the building? No. Then we had to pour the foundation. And so the first thing you do is you put up these forms and then you, this is the crazy thing is you just built this beautiful pad and then you start digging into it, right? And you have to have footings have to be a certain depth. They have to be a certain width. If your pad, like if, if, you're built, like if this was gonna get poured as a pad, if you've got a good concrete guy, there needs to be footings running down the middle of it as well to keep it from cracking, right? Um, absolutely foundational for a good building, right? And then rebar. We use number four and number five rebar, and it has to go into the footings. It has to, you know, we're gonna, we did a four inch slab, and so it has to sit off the ground, you have to have those little rebar chairs. Don't let them just lay on the ground because it doesn't work. Then you have to tie the rebar in. All, all this. Now here's the thing. None of that is sexy. Right? None of that is cool. Like, like none of that gets you going like, oh, like no one came along and was like, oh man, are those footings 12 inches wide? Woo! Man. No one, no one was like, oh, number five rebar. Yes. Nice work. None of it is cool, but it's absolutely, absolutely foundational as a foundation. And so, and then later on, way later on, I got my building built and I have all this power and it's real pretty. And that slab hasn't cracked yet. I got a good concrete guy, man. I mean, that slab is nice, right? And it's going to be there for years and years and years. And so all this to say, um, today we're doing some foundational work and, and, I, and I, 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 it almost feels like, it almost feels like this is me saying, Hey, this is an excuse for a really poor message. No, this is what I'm saying is we're going to dig today and we're going to lay some rebar, right? And, and we're going to put down a water vapor so that water doesn't come up through our slab. And, and here's, here's the truth is honestly, at the end of this, of our service, probably no one's going to be like, woo. 12 inch footers, man, those look great. You know, some of it's not going to be sexy, but it's absolutely rock solid necessary in order to build a f structure on top of it. Are you all with, you all with me on this? And so let me say this. If you're trying to build a family, if you're trying to build a home, if you're trying to build a life, you sure as heck dang better have a solid foundation because Jesus had a lot to say about that is that there are plenty of people that they just want to get the things going. They, they want to have no foundation, but they just want to, just tell me, how do I, five steps to do this, four steps to do this, tell, tell me the application. It's like, dude, it, that's, that's like the soil that is filled with rocks, 
that stuff springs up quickly, but it's not rooted, and over time it dies out. Jesus had a lot to say about that. One time, one time he said, it's like if you build a castle, but you build it on sand. And when the, when the rains, by the way, not if, when the storms come, it just washes away, right? And we wonder why the American family is in trouble, honestly. We wonder why the church, on the, on the outside, it looks like the church is in trouble, right? Because we have families that they're building on sand, right? And so can we do some dirt work today? Can we do a little bit of foundation? It may not be cool. It may not be sexy, but it is absolutely necessary for us to build our lives past this. And then can you do, do something for me? When we lay this foundation, can you pray and listen to the Holy Spirit and say, Father, the Holy Spirit, what does this mean for my life? Like, on this solid foundation, what is the home going to look like that I'm going to build? Because I can't tell you. Like, to be honest, I don't, I don't know. You follow me on that? Like, if you're, if you're, and it may not be you, but this is very common. People look to church leadership. What do I do with my life? Here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know. I, I know your foundation has to be on Jesus. What does your house look like? Bro, I don't know. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? I'll help. Let me help. I can't tell you what to do. I don't, I don't have any clue. I really don't. I know you're supposed to honor the Lord with your finances. I know you're supposed to honor the Lord with your calendar, with your life, with your passions, your desires. We're supposed to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you know. But, but Russell, how do I fix my marriage? I don't know. How do I make my prayer life better? I don't know. That's the Holy Spirit's job, Okay. And I'm, I am convicted strongly that there are many churches, and dare I say, there are many Christian families that you could take the Holy Spirit out and it wouldn't change a dang bit. You follow me? There are many churches and families you could take prayer out and it wouldn't change a bit. There are many churches and families you could completely remove the Bible and it wouldn't change a bit. And so this is why I'm reminding you and exhorting you and begging myself as well. We have to be people of God's Word, of prayer, and of the Holy Spirit built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. So, Ezra chapter 2. So Ezra chapter 1 was uh, Cyrus announcing that these, the Jewish people can go home back to Jerusalem. Ezra chapter 2, I'm not going to read all of it. I'll leave that up to you. Uh, so Ezra chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each in his own town. So that covers a lot of, that covers a, a lot of information. It says the, this is the list of people. And anytime it talks about Jerusalem, it says that they come up to Jerusalem. That's only because Jerusalem is up on the top of like a mountain ridge. And so anytime you went to Jerusalem, you went up. Uh, verse 2, in company with, now Zerubbabel, that's an important name. You need to underline that. He led the first return. We'll talk more about him later, but we'll get back to them. In company with Zerubbabel, uh, Jeshua, Nehemiah, that's a different Nehemiah than we will meet later. Uh, our Nehemiah isn't born yet. Nehemiah at this time was a very common name, you know, like, like Matthew or John or, you know, Nathan. You know, just real normal names. Um, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Blishan, 
Mispar, Bigvi, Rahim, and Bana. Uh, a quick prose pointer, just read the names fast and everyone thinks you're right, okay? Uh, you can skip, it gives you the list. Look at this, it gives you the list of all the people that came through. We're not going to read through all these. Uh, but let me at least take this moment to point out, if, if God is so careful in listing every single person, do you, do you not think that he cares for every single one of us individually? Don't miss that, guys, okay? It's, and I love that Jesus even says it this way. He says, dude, a sparrow doesn't even fall from the sky without my father knowing about it, okay? So don't you ever feel like you're just lost in the numbers because Jesus God the Father cares about every single one. That's why he lists every single one. Uh, so keep going. Um, go down to verse 62. This is where we'll pick up. <clears throat> Actually, verse 61, I'm sorry. And from among the priests, we're going to talk about the priests today, the descendants of Habiah, Hakaz, Barzillai, a man who had married a daughter of Barzillai the Gileadite and was called that by name. 62, listen to this. This is very interesting. These searched for their family records, but they could not find them and were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. Okay, so what happened here is these are the guys that remember there were the 12 tribes of Israel and then this one tribe, the tribe of Levi, uh, that's when God said to them, he said, hey, this tribe, specifically the descendants of Aaron, you guys are going to be the priests. You will be the ones that minister at the tabernacle that will become the tem temple. You will be the ones that are my mediator between God and man. You will be the ones that people come to you. You will be the ones that, listen to this, have direct access to the, to the uh, uh, presence of the Lord, okay? No one else could do that. Only the priests, only the tribe of Levi, Levi only the descendants of Aaron. And look at this, I'll read it again. Here, from among the priests, there's some that they searched for their family records, okay? So notice this, they're, they're packing up, they're going to Jerusalem, and let, isn't it funny that the same thing's been happening for thousands of years? Anytime you move, what happens? You lose a bunch of stuff, like, this is literally biblical, okay? That, that, and this is important stuff that they, you know, they're halfway here from uh, Babylon, and they're, you know, they call to the back of the caravan, hey, get real quick, grab my family records. And the kids go back, and they're looking at caravan, not the car, you dorks, not the minivan, oh my gosh, like the caravan of like <laughs> things. Uh, and, and they call back and they say, hey, grab the family records. I want to show so-and-so our family line. And they look and they, and they come back and they say, Dad, I, I can't find it. And so this is what happens. They search for their family records, but they could not find them. Okay, now listen. And as a result, they were what? Excluded from the priesthood. Okay. Now listen, that seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? These are the guys that they minister. Listen, we're going to rebuild the temple. That's the whole reason we're doing this. And to have a temple, we have to have priests because we have to have people that can actually access uh, the presence of the Lord. And there's some people that they went and they said, yes, I'm a descendant of Aaron. I'm going to be a part of this. And they can't prove their lineage. And as a result, because of what the Lord said, he said, hey, you, you can't do this. You are not a priest. 
And they could even say, no, no, but I know how to be a priest. I've got the outfit. I've got the uniform. I remember the training. My grandpa taught me how to be a priest. Like, I know how to do the things. I know how to do the sacrifices. I know how to do the burnt offerings. I, I know how to light the candles. I know how to, uh, to take the bread in. I, I know how to uh, minister at the incense table inside the Holy of Holies. I know how to do this. And the bottom line is, sorry, brother, you can't do it. Why? Because you can't prove that you were born into it. Now, that seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? And, and this is what I want to point out when it comes to a priesthood. What makes somebody a priest? Is it their behavior? No. Is it their intentions? No. Is it what they say? No. Is it what they do? No. What makes somebody a priest? It's their birth. You are born into the priesthood. If you are not born from the descendants of Aaron and the tribe of Levi, I don't care how good of a person you were, you could not be a priest, and therefore you would never approach the presence of the Lord. Are you all following me on this? So this is pretty harsh, right? So I want you to um, just pause there, flip over to 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2. I told you we'd look there. And we looked at this last week. Remember, this is uh, Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, writing. And he's writing to encourage Christians at this time. So take a big step with me forward. This is during the church age. This is after the gospel. This is after Jesus um, has died and gone to the grave and been resurrected. This is after the Holy Spirit has come. The church is born. The church is here. And Peter writes this letter of encouragement. And if you remember... Uh, at the beginning of his letter, he, would, he calls his recipients, he says, says things like, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout the world. And last week we talked about that, remember guys, this is not your home. I don't care what anyone says, this is not your home. And then look in chapter 2, verse 7. We'll just start there. No, verse 4, I'm sorry. Verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him that's Jesus and then it says you but in the original language it actually is y'all okay so in your in your English Bible remember we don't have a a word that means you plural in the Texas Bible we would it would be y'all but your Bible probably says you so and this is very important you all also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy... What's the word right there? Priesthood. Time out. Time out. <clears throat> Does anyone see why this is significant? Does anyone see the problem here, by the way? If you're a new Christian and you're reading this for the first time and Peter says, hey, you're being built to be a holy priesthood. Time out. What, what would they be thinking? This is what they'd be thinking. They would stand up and they'd say, hey, uh, Peter, I, man, I, I love the sentiment. I love where you're going this, but Peter, I'm disqualified. Uh, Peter, I don't meet the qualifications to be a priest. I'm, I'm not descended of Aaron, and that's all that matters. And look what he does. He goes on offering spiritual sacrifices because remember that's what the priests did they offered sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for in scripture it says see I lay a stone in Zion or Jerusalem a chosen and precious cornerstone 
So again, when you're building a, a, a big house, whatever, you have to have a reference point. Everything is built off the cornerstone. The cornerstone goes in first, and then everything else is built in reference to the cornerstone. Let me re uh, repeat that. When you're building a home or a house or a family, the first thing that goes in is the cornerstone. That's at this time. We don't use them anymore. And everything else is built in reference to the cornerstone. Nothing else matters. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever built anything, but if, um, if, like if we're in different parts of a yard and I say, hey, measure up 48 inches off the ground, do you know what the problem is on that? Well, sometimes the yard slopes. Sometimes the yard isn't level. And so I may measure 48 inches and my measurement may be different than yours. Are you following me? Like, and so, and then we step back and we've built a house that isn't level. And we've built a house that's going to fall down. And by the way, if you want to look at, uh, if you want to have an example of how the world works, it's that right there. Hey, you go measure your 48 inches. I'll go measure my 48 inches. I'm sure it'll all work out. Are y'all following me on this? By the way, how's that going? <laughs> right? Is this not the world? Hey, what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. Right? There's no such thing as right and wrong. In our world right now, darkness is being called light. Right? In our world right now, evil is being called good. In our world right now, nobody tells me what to do. In our world right now, this is how crazy it's getting. Not even my genetic code tells me who I am. Like, this is how far we've gotten. Not even X and Y chromosomes tell me who I am. I decide. And so that's why this is so important, is that this cornerstone, if we all measure off the same cornerstone, then our house will be level and plumb and square, uh, rock solid. Keep going. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders has rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. Verse 9, what's the first word? But you are a chosen people, a royal, what's the word? Priesthood. A, what's the word? Holy nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So this is interesting. Notice Peter is saying, you are a priesthood. You are a chosen nation. You are a holy nation. Now remember, how does anyone become a priest? Is it by a decision? No. Is it by effort? No. Is it by behavior? No. What is it? By birth. Okay. This is why Jesus says, and this is why it's so important that uh, in order to become a Christian, in order to become a follower of Jesus, what do you do? Do you just try harder? No. Is it by your behavior? No. What is it? You must be, what's the word? Reborn. You must be born again. And so this is why when Peter would stand up and read this letter and say, hey, you're a holy chosen priesthood, this is why some people would say, hey, I'm disqualified. This is why he would look at them and say, actually, have you died to yourself and have you been risen in Christ? And they'd say, yeah, I have. And he'd say, oh no, you have, you've met every single qualification. 
You've met every single qualification. It has nothing to do with how you behave, right? <clears throat> and so uh, I want to watch a movie clip real quick. Um, last week, we watched a scene from Hook, um, and we talked about how uh, Jack had been taken away, Jack and Maggie. You remember uh, Peter Pan's children? Uh, Peter has grown up at this point, and he's a lawyer, and he's boring, and he's forgotten that he's Peter Pan because Neverland makes you forget. Um, and Jack, what he has done is he has been brought into this false world, and Jack has believed that he is someone that he is not, right? And I want you to watch in, in this scene, he, he reaches the moment he remembers who his father is, okay? And at the same time, Hook has, has him convinced that that's not his dad, right? And Hook has him convinced that, no, you, you're one of us. And, and, and Jack, um, Jack has started to talk like Captain Hook. Jack is dressed like Captain Hook. Jack is starting to act like Captain Hook. And he has believed that he is a descendant of Captain Hook. And Pan shows up and he reminds him, he says, your behavior, your actions, even the way you dress doesn't determine whose you are. I do. And, and this is such a cool scene because this is the father coming for his sons. Um, and so I want you to watch this. I want you to watch Jack. I also want you to watch uh, Rufio. Spoiler alert, it doesn't go well for him. We're going to watch Rufio, and who is not Peter Pan's son, but he wants to be. And, and he's going to say some very powerful words. Um, anyways, I want you to watch this, and then we'll talk about it. Uh. Looky, looky, I got hooky. Hook, no! Do you know what I wish? What? I wish I had a dad. Like you. Dad, I'm sorry. Are you ready for me, Peter? Come on. Humor the hook. Dad? I want to go home. What are you talking about? You are home. Peter. Yeah, the last time, a couple times I've watched this, I've cried. When I, when I would watch it as a kid, I would watch it 
from the perspective of, of Jack, but now that I'm a dad, I watch it from the perspective of Peter, and it changes it 100%. And so a couple things I want to point out is, is, that, is that Jack, gosh, I, I love this scene. Jack believes he's someone who he's not, and the father comes and fights for him, and that's when Jack says, I want to go home. And, and what, what I want you to see is Peter did not look at Jack and say, take that off. Take that hat off. Stop talking. What he did was he showed his love for him. And when Jack knew who his father was, how did he respond? His behavior followed. Are you all with me on this? And, and, and even to the very end, Hook is saying, no, you, you're my son. And Jack says, uh-uh, I want to go home. And I even love the fact, God, guys, I, I, just, I just noticed this too that Hook is ready to fight, and Peter stands up, and he says, there's, there's, he didn't say, but he communicates, there's no fight here, because I have been victorious already. Come on, someone say amen, right? This is what Satan does, is he lies to us, he tells us you're not good enough, he tells us you're not a priest, he gets us to look like him, he gets us to dress like him, and I pray, we all pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, that we have this this moment, right? And don't we all do this, by the way, that we're walking through life and we have these moments where we stop and we look down at ourselves, right? And we say, what, what am I doing, right? Why am I dressed like this? Why am I acting like this? And I love all it takes is Jack just has to say, hey, Dad, I want to go home. And that's it. By the way, Luke 15, story of the prodigal son, Right? You know, the, the son sp goes, rejects the father, spends everything he has, and you'll notice when the son turns to come to the father, this is the best part of that story, by the way. Does the father sit there and wait on the porch for the son like this? No. What does he do? He sees the son, and what does he do? He runs to him. So this is a lie you're going to hear straight from hell. Oh, you want to you get back to God, whatever that means? You want to return to fellowship? Well, here's the list. Here's what you got to do. Anyone else receive this lie daily? Right? Is it just me? Satan says, okay, here, well, you got to do this. Start doing this. Stop doing this. Make sure you're doing this thing. Listen to only Chris Tomlin. Maybe Hillsong occasionally. Um, <clears throat> and, and Jesus, God the Father, He says, no, none of that. What do you have to do? Just turn to me and just say, Dad, I want to go home. Why? Because you are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood, and that's something you're born into. Jack didn't earn that. Hook tried to convince him otherwise. He constantly lures him. And he says, no, that's something you're born into. And then the last thing about the prodigal son, when the father runs to the son, um, think about this. When you think of guys like in the Old or New Testament, you know how they always would wear the long robe things? <clears throat> you know the phrase, gird your loins? That's what they would say whenever uh, men were about to go to battle. They would take that long robe thingy, and you can't really like be active in a long robe thing, right? Like, I'm not out playing soccer on Sundays in a moo-moo. Why? Is it because it looks silly? No, it's because I can't move, right? And so it's, it's, it's kind of like a moo-moo, right? So what, when guys would needed to move quickly, they would gird their loins and they would pick that thing up and kind of tie it 
they would wrap it around them and tie it so that their legs were exposed and they were ready for battle. Um, and here's the thing, a, a father, a um, patriarch at that time, it was never appropriate for him to show his legs. Why is that? Because it was a sign of respect, right? And we understand that today, right? Think about men of great respect. Honestly, think of men you respect a lot, isn't it? Have you ever seen their legs? Not, maybe you have, right? Uh, in our day, I'm going to lose half the crowd, half, half the congregation right now. It's kind of the same, like have, if someone you've really respected, have you ever seen them without a shirt on and seen their nipples? Changes everything, right? You can't go back. Have you ever been on like a beach trip or something like that with someone you respect and they take the shirt off and the farmer's tan is beaming and you're like, well, there you are. I, and, and there's no going back, right? There's, a, there's an issue of like, of covering oneself and respect. Okay, so anyways, my, my silly example, 100% true when Jesus told this story, when it says the father ran to the son, he had to lift up his uh, robe thing to do that, expose his legs, and listen, he had to humiliate himself in order to pursue the son. He humiliated himself in the sight of others and because of his love for his child, his children. Do you all see the illustration there? By the way, this is God the Father running after his kids. He doesn't sit there and wait for you. He says, oh, you've returned. You, I'm, I'm, coming. I'm coming to you. Well, what do I have to do? And you remember the... <clears throat> The son says, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And the father says, shut up. My son's returned. There's nothing you have to earn. This is who you are because of whose you are. So guys, that's our foundation. What are you going to do with it? Please listen to the Holy Spirit. Please spend time in prayer. Today we're going to take communion. Uh, Jesus, what he told us about communion was he says, hey, as often as you do this, so we don't know how often that is, but we know we're supposed to do it regularly. He says, do this in what? Do this in remembrance of me. He says the, the purpose of communion, it's a physical illustration to illustrate a spiritual truth. The purpose of doing this is to remember. Why? Because we're prone to forget, right? If I'm left by my own devices, I will end up looking like, dressing like, talking like the world, right? I will find my heart to start to be drawn towards things of the world. I will find my money start to be spent just like the world's is. I will find my calendar start to be spent just like the world is. And I'll blink and I'm like Jack that's dressed up like Captain Hook, but that's not who I am. And so Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. We're going to take communion today in remembrance of Christ, in remembrance of who we are in Christ. Uh, this is another thing as well. When, when Jesus first sat down with the apostles and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, he says, drink my blood. And by the way, I don't think the apostles had any clue what was going on. And then he took this bread and he says, this is my body given for you. Eat this. Okay, uh, quick question. In the temple tabernacle system, these sacrifices that were sacrificed, who were the only people that were allowed to eat the sacrifices? Do you know? Just take a guess. The priest. The priest. Okay? That's what Numbers chapter 18 is. It says no one else 
can eat of this sacrifice. And then in Leviticus 17, it says, uh, when you present an animal to sacrifice, it says, do not drink the blood because the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for your sins. So here's two rules that Jesus is seemingly breaking. Number one, only priests, only this holy race of people can eat of the sacrifice. Number two, if you were to drink the blood of an animal, then you're taking its life in you. And this is why Jesus, when he institutes the new covenant, he says, eat this bread and drink my blood. Guys, that is significant. That is powerful. And that is rock solid foundation. If we understand what's happening here, dude, we have built a, a, a slab that is six inches thick and the footings are 12 by 24 and it has rebar. I mean, it is not going anywhere. And that's why we constantly remind ourselves um, of this. This is our foundation on which to build our home. <clears throat> Let me lead us in prayer. And then what we're going to do is we practice open communion here. And so if you're a church member, you're welcome to come partake. If you're not a church member, you're also welcome to come partake of it. Um, we do ask um, that if you're not a believer, if you have not been reborn in, in Jesus, if you have not died to yourself, then just, then just pass on this, okay? No one's going to embarrass you in any way, okay? You can stay in your seat. That's fine. Um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to play a song here. Uh, we're going to play two songs, and so you can come and observe communion at any point, and then we're going to spend two songs um, just worshiping, and then uh, Matt's going to uh, close us with final announcements and thoughts and stuff. So uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it's, it's, um, it's, it's not hidden or locked. Thank you that it's just it's clear. It's right there. And God, I just pray that we'd understand. I pray that we would recognize that it's our birth that defines us. And let's be really clear. God, we have an enemy that's fighting for us. He, he's not fighting for our good. He's fighting for our souls. He wants us. And he wants to lure us in. And he wants us to dress like him and act like him and sound like him. And, and God, I pray that we would recognize the Father coming after us and realize that there's no battle here. It's been won. And so, uh, God, I pray that we would realize who we are in Christ, uh, that we are, this is weird to say, but we're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are a people belonging to you. And God, if we really understand that, then our behavior will, will, our behavior will reflect it, God. And so I pray that our focus would be on who, whose we are, um, and then let you build upon that foundation, God. And so, uh, Lord, some of us, we just need work. We've tried to build a house on sand, and it's not working. And so I pray in our lives, personally, with our family, with our jobs, with everything that we would recognize. Maybe we've built on sand, and we need to build on rock. Um, and so, Lord, because that rock-solid foundation is not going anywhere because when the waves come it'll be fine and so i pray that we can just uh, worship you now um, and that we would realize that this is just it's just juice and it's just a little cracker thing um, but that we would realize what this is 
symbolizing and then we would realize what this is speaking and the truth that it carries as well and so uh, father this is our prayer um, as we go to worship you amen